This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Welcome to episode number eight of Go To Grandma. Stop. I want you to stop and think about what I just said. Were you mindful of the way I said it and what it might mean to you? What it means to me is that you are back with us to chat about issues that matter to today's grandparents, including being mindful. What does mindfulness really mean? Is it simply paying attention? Why do I have to work at it? On today's show, we have Annabelle Fitzsimmons, yoga instructor and co-founder of Mind Management. She's going to tell us what it means to be mindful versus meditation and give us some simple ways that grandparents can practice meditation and mindfulness with or without our grandkids. When you're the parent of young kids, sometimes you feel like the only place you can go to to get some peace and quiet meditation is, well, in the bathroom. Problem is, when they're really young, sometimes you have to take them into the bathroom with you. I'm pretty sure Annabelle wouldn't consider that the ideal setting for mindfulness and meditation, but I'm not sure. And that's what we are going to learn about today. My 22-month-old grandson, Owen, has developed a slightly strange habit over the past couple of months of stopping what he's doing and putting his head down on the ground and peering between his legs. We call this his baby yoga position, but I think it's probably just him finding a new way to look at the world. Also, he has a pretty big head, so this is probably a resting stop as well. If you do yoga, you know that the real happy baby position is one that involves lying on your back and holding your feet with your hands. This is probably an easy position for a baby. I don't recommend you try it without professional yoga instruction. Also on our show today, we have the CEO of Kobo, Michael Tamblin, who will give us his position on digital literacy and why it's so important as we age. Our Take 5 with RBC series continues with a visit from Jonah Spiegelman, a lawyer who helps Canadians reposition themselves from Canada to the U.S. I like a theme. Can you tell? So position yourself comfortably as you get set to listen to this week's episode of Go To Grandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Thanks for joining me. Annabelle Fitzsimmons is a teacher, writer, speaker, and mother of two. She has taught meditation and yoga to movie stars, TV personalities, Olympic athletes, business leaders, and famous musicians. A published author, freelance writer, and playwright, Annabelle also speaks nationally and internationally on creativity and wellness. In 2017, she co-founded MindManagement.com to create no-nonsense, accessible mindfulness and meditation tools for the corporate sector. She loves to travel and is happiest by the water. Morning, Annabelle. Hi, Kathy. So you've taught movie stars, and later in this, you're going to teach me. So this yes. is, yeah, you're oh, you, well, way you down are the line. a movie star, <laughs> radio star. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so I mean, when I hear the words mindfulness and meditation, as you know, I've dabbled in yoga. I've done some mindfulness exercises, but mm-hmm. what is the difference between maybe a meditation that we might find in yoga or other places and mindfulness? It's really important to create a distinction between the two because people often confuse them. Mindfulness is the practice of purposely bringing your attention to the present moment. And so it's without judgment, just a moment-to-moment awareness of your feelings, your emotions, your surroundings. And this is a practice that is strengthened 
by meditation. So meditation is actually the practice of mentally training our minds and we can improve our core psychological capabilities like attentional regulation, emotional regulation. So it's basically training our brains. So as we practice meditation, that will transfer over to mindfulness and living mindfully in our everyday. Wow. So if I am lying on the yoga mat, (laughs) one of my misconceptions is I'm lying there and while the instructor is taking me through this terrific exercise, I'm doing a mental grocery list or I'm, you know, so that's not the way to approach it. You can probably give me some tips on how to approach it. But I think that's a regular myth or misconception about meditation and mindfulness is, you know, it's hard to get into. Absolutely. There's a lot of stigma about being mindful or being a meditative person. And I think one of the biggest myths is that your mind is going to be clear. I have so many people come and say, oh, I can't, I can't meditate. I can't be mindful. My mind is always racing. Well, that's what our mind is designed to do. We're human. We're designed to think. So your mind will never be clear to be quite honest. We've got thoughts racing through our head, but the difference is we can train our brains to look at those thoughts and notice which ones are negative thought patterns or positive thought patterns and become more aware of the way we think and how we use our thoughts to go about our everyday and how we apply them. So yes, your mind will never be clear. So you're not doing it wrong. (laughs) Your (laughs) grocery lists are always going to be going (laughs) through your head. But can you do anything about it right now? No, then bring your attention back to your breathing, to the present moment, so you're not missing out on what's right in front of you. So that's part of the process, is what you're saying, is that if I'm sitting there and my mind is going somewhere else, it's saying, come on back. Come on back, come on back to here now. So I'm talking to you right now. I'm not thinking about the grocery list. I'm present. I'm here. But if I start thinking, okay, what do I have to do after this interview? Oh, no, I'm back here breathe. And it's really as simple. The breath is the foundation of all mindfulness and meditation practices. But another myth is that we're going to be calm all the time, which is hilarious, (laughs) right? I mean, you know me. I'm not calm all the time. You ask my kids. It is the ability to return to a place of calm more quickly and more easily and recognize when we're getting stressed or there are stressors that kick in, what can we do to bring ourselves back to a focused, steady mental state? So it's not, again, as you say, we're not failing if we feel like I'm angry, I'm upset, I'm I'm, I'm supposed to be meditating, I no, should be calm. No, we're human. Yeah. We have emotions. That's what makes us individuals. And that's what's so great about meditation and mindfulness is that we can celebrate the parts of us that we want to strengthen and focus on and build upon, but we can also notice, okay, these things aren't actually serving me. It's not great when I fly to handle this. What can I do to pause before I do that? Or is there another way I can approach the situation? And, you know, as a grandparent to obviously two perfect grandsons, as you know, (laughs) uh, one is almost two years old. And guess what comes with two years old? Yeah, a lot of activity, a lot of frustration for him, sometimes frustration for me. And we have to do the same thing 20 times or, you know, that Mm -hmm. age of they're going to do it themselves. So do you have some simple ways and not just for toddlers, of course, maybe teen grandchildren, et cetera, some simple ways that grandparents can practice meditation and mindfulness, maybe with or without, is there something we can do before we see them? There are so many ways. And I think what's great is that kids are actually so good at being mindful. They're so good at being present and here, but they're not developed emotionally in their regulation yet. So we as adults, that's kind of our job to model, which is, you know, sometimes easier said than done, you know, especially Mm -hmm. when you're raising young kids. But as a grandparent, when you're, when you're spending time with kids, There are two different tips right off the bat. When kids are getting the zoomies or they're getting, you know, really overstimulated and we want a way to bring 
back, a bit of calm mm-hmm. or bring them back to the present. Sometimes hearing our voice isn't the easiest way to calm them. So putting on like a one minute or a two minute guided meditation so we can just sit and breathe with them. It takes the onus off the grandparent and allows you to do something together. That's a great idea. And listen to someone else's voice. And there are lots of great meditations out there, but there's also, we have some that have a kid recording the meditation, like a seven-year-old. So it's neat for grandchildren to hear another child and go, oh, okay, I can get in touch. I can breathe. And breathing really, as I said, it's the foundation. If you can get your grandkids to breathe with you and they can mirror your breathing, it's a great way to do it. Also at bedtime. Mm -hmm. Bedtime, getting them to relax and calm and bring them to a place where they're able to go to sleep and get their body relaxed because there's so much going on in their little minds. And the way that we can be really present, get off the phone, Mm -hmm. right? You know, and Mm -hmm. and really pay attention to what they're doing and what they're saying. So when you say we have a where can people go to find this? And then after that, you're going to lead us through a quick little exercise. So where can we go to find these? You can go to mindmanagement.com forward slash shop. And that's M-I-N-D-M-G-T.com forward slash shop. And we have a whole section of kids meditations. Perfect. Okay. So you are going to lead us through the tense and release. Yes, the tense and release. So kids get so much energy and sometimes they don't actually know how to calm their energy. So this is a simple technique that you can go with your grandkids. You just get them to sit or stand and get them to clench their fists, take a deep breath in as if they're blowing up a balloon in their belly, tighten the fists, squeeze really hard. And then as they exhale, they let their hands relax and they let their palms soften on their lap. And then you go to their feet and you crunch their feet and you go through each body part and then ending with the face, scrunching up the face really, really, really tight. And then as they exhale, they let all of the muscles of the face relax and it encourages their body to completely relax. I'm going to try that. Even with a, a two-year-old grandson, I think I could try this because he can emulate me. Well, I can't Absolutely. say scrunch up and he wouldn't necessarily know, but doing, and I think he does that anyway. Yeah, <laughs> scrunches they do. Up they make, that's, what, that's how they communicate. But yeah. then if they're taught how to relax, it's one of the most amazing tools that we can give kids these days. Thank you so much for joining us in studio. You've talked about mind management. Where can we find Annabelle Fitzsimmons on social media? At Annabelle J. Fitz, F-I-T-Z and I'm on Insta and Facebook and everywhere. If anybody has any questions for (laughs) Annabelle, they can get a hold of her there. Thank you so much for coming in studio. Thanks for having me. Michael Tamblin, President and Chief Executive Officer at Rakuten Kobo, drives growth, profitability, and international expansion in a fiercely competitive market. He combines a passion for reading with a deep focus on hardware and software experiences. In addition to leading Rakuten Kobo, the global digital bookseller, he advises startups focused on aging and technology as Chief Entrepreneur of AgeWell NCE, is on the Board of Directors of the Law Commission of Ontario, as well as the power plant, Toronto's foremost contemporary art gallery. Michael has been part of Rakuten Kobo's executive team since its inception in 2009 and previously held the role of chief content officer. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Thank you for joining us today. I have to tell you, I am a Kobo addict. I read on my Kobo all the time, as does my 84-year-old mother, who's well into overdrive and everything that Kobo offers. We love it. Fantastic. How important do you think it is for seniors to be digitally literate? What I find wonderful about digital literacy today is how it is kind of converting people on its own. So it you know, it used to be that maybe you had to sit 
down with your grandparent or you know send a grandchild to a grandparent and say you know this is why we you know it might be fun for you to be on Facebook this is mm-hmm. why it might be good for you to to read an ebook and now mostly older adults are just figuring that out for themselves you know fastest rate of adoption of of digital technology is happening in demographics over the age of 65 you know incredible uptake in smartphone usage incredible uptake of ebook usage like pretty much Older adults are figuring this out for themselves. I couldn't agree more. When the pandemic first started, my mom had her Kobo. She wanted to give it to me to figure it out for her, and we couldn't because of the rules at the time. And she figured it out, which was amazing, you know. And I think because she did it herself, she just is getting so much more out of it. It's true. And I think we've also become better over time. I mean, we at Kobo and also we in the technology field in general of bringing older adults into mind as we're designing products and as we're figuring out how to make technology so that it is more intuitive, so mm-hmm. that it kind of makes sense right out of the box, uh, and so that you don't have to have that grandchild riding shotgun next to you while you're setting something up. Unless it's setting up something on my smartphone, then, then I might. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest problem still, and it's funny because we struggle with it from a customer support issue all the time, the biggest barrier to technology adoption right now is those... 32 tiny letters on the back of the Wi-Fi router that everybody has to read in in order to connect something to to the internet. (laughs) And and I've raised a point in my intro about I'm happy that I can use my Kobo without looking for my reading glasses. How does Kobo help more people read more often? When we were first starting the company, I think we, like a lot of tech companies, thought, okay, this is new technology, this is going to be picked up by young people. And almost immediately, we discovered that Ebooks were the first digital revolution that were being driven by people over the age of 45. That the things that made ebooks so attractive, that you could carry your whole library with you all the time, that you didn't have to go to a store to get one, that you could um, make fonts bigger, were things that really appealed to older adults. And so all of those kind of product characteristics have had special resonance and extra, extra benefit as you get older um, in your own life. And one of the things that we found most, you know, most enjoyable and most rewarding is how ebooks are able to keep people reading longer. Mm-hmm. So the idea that if you have mobility issues or if you're having, uh, you know, like many of us, you're know, sort of trading one pair of reading glasses for ever stronger pairs of reading glasses, that ebooks will kind of keep you reading longer. And that's just, that's kind of a joy for us. I think the ability to 24-7 shop is massive. Also, not having to leave your home to go out and add to your library, whether it is through Overdrive to your actual library or whether it's, you know, purchasing off Kobo itself. And, and again, as you travel, I mean, a lot of, you know, the demographic that we're speaking with, we're traveling, we're getting back out there. And it's really, you know, being able to carry that in one little package is pretty amazing. Absolutely. And we see... Two big use cases for that as, um, as people get older. One, as you say, vacation time. Uh, you know, I used to pack one carry-on of clothes and one suitcase <laughs> full of books when I Me went on too. vacation. <laughs> I don't have to do that anymore. Uh, when you have people who are, whose residences are divided, so they're either spending time uh, at their home in the city and they're going out to the cottage or they're going somewhere warm for the winter, being able to bring your whole library with you is a really nice thing. And, uh, and then certainly as you, you know, as we reach you know, kind of the last quarter of our lives, uh, if you're downsizing, 
one of the biggest issues people have are books and libraries in their home. And so being able to move into a smaller place and still be able to keep all of those books that matter to you is, uh, is a really great benefit of digital reading. Great point. I have like 10 seconds now to ask you if you had to recommend one book right now. What are you reading, Michael? Uh, we just uh, we just gave our uh, award for best new first novel to Michelle Good uh, in the Kobo Emerging Writers Prize for Five Little Indians. Perfect. And so both an incredible novel. Uh, it deals with a lot of the issues of the residential school system that we're you know that we're all hearing about today, and just an incredibly impactful book. You should absolutely read it. I will pick that up. I will load it onto my Kobo. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. Really appreciate oh, it. Thanks so much for having me. Jonah Spiegelman is a cross-border tax and estate planning lawyer. His practice is focused on assisting clients that face taxation in both Canada and the U.S. Licensed to practice law in British Columbia and California, Jonah can give advice on both sides of the border and implement that advice to create tax-efficient investment structures to suit client objectives. Good morning, Jonah. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So, you know, there's a lot of Canadians that either are retiring to the U.S., thinking of retiring to the U.S., either full-time or part-time. Of course, the world has changed a lot in the last 18 months. So what can you tell us about how those considerations might have changed for Canadians looking at that? Well, from a lifestyle perspective, I guess in a lot of ways, not much has changed, except for the difficulties actually traveling Mm -hmm. across borders with current restrictions still in place. Uh, and testing and all that. Very little has changed from an income tax perspective, of course. You know, Canadians are still welcome to Snowbird for up to six months uh, without engaging with the U.S. tax system in any substantive way. Mm -hmm. In my practice, it's been interesting to see uh, more young people who have maybe moved down to the U.S. for work purposes in the tech industry or other types of People, you know, southbound economic migrants have started coming home, uh, maybe because, you know, the early stages of the pandemic in the U.S. might have been uh, a little more problematic Mm -hmm. than it seemed up in Canada. So I've seen a lot of younger people coming back to Canada, which presents some interesting tax opportunities all of its own. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that the snowbirds are are pretty well entrenched in their nice southern lifestyle in the winter and and that hasn't changed that will never change right (laughs) we like right we like the sun but over the past year and a half have you seen then the moves to the u.s that snowbird crowd really making a more permanent move has that sort of gone up or are you seeing them not move south and maybe delaying that a little bit or again maybe this market are they now thinking i might actually come back to canada for good now Well, you know, I mean, during the height of the pandemic, of course, it was simply impossible Mm -hmm. to travel. And so there were some people, and so it depended a lot on where people were in their usual routines, uh, you know, of their annual cycle to whether they even made it down south. I had a lot of people that I know who were unable to visit because they hadn't yet gone when, when the lockdown happened, whereas others were actually trapped in the U.S. and and ended up not being able to come home very easily. So, you know, all bets are off with the last 18 months in terms of, 
you know, what you'd like to be doing versus what you're able to do. Right, right. So if I'm thinking about it now, so we're, you know, 18 months in, some of the travel restrictions, of course, have been lightened and some are loosening as we speak. So for anyone considering it, what are your top recommendations? What are the things we really have to think about before we leave Canada if we are seriously considering a move to the U.S. in our retirement? Well, again, it depends on whether the, the move is a seasonal move versus a, mm-hmm. versus a more permanent move. You know, I mean, apart from needing to prove negative tests and complying with all of the sort of uh, procedural, you know, getting a test and getting on an airplane, you know, everything's a little bit more complicated than it used to be. But, you know, at this point, uh, as long as you're vaccinated, it seems to me that travel has, has come back to more or less normal. And, you know, I think it's more of a personal choice around safety, whether you think Florida or Toronto is a a lower risk environment to spend the winter in. Right, right. And if I'm thinking about this move, I might want to consult with a tax advisor. What kinds of questions do you see coming to you, uh, Jonah, about people thinking about moving down there in terms of the tax setup? Well, you know, I mean, forever, independent of of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and all that, the classic question is how long am I able to stay in the Mm -hmm. U.S. without becoming a U.S. taxpayer? And, um, you know, that is is a question that, you know, we get every single year for for many years. It's what everyone wants to know is how long you're able to stay. And of course, the answer is it depends. (laughs) But for the last year, I mean, like I say, uh, because travel was restricted and it was difficult to know, you know, how many days you were able to exclude on the basis of being a COVID refugee. Uh, that, so the last year, uh, and for this particular reporting period, so all bets are off, and you never know how the tax authorities are going to to implement these administrative relief rules for people who got stuck where they didn't want to be. Right. And the usual planning uh, got a little bit sidetracked just because of the you know global lockdowns. Yeah, no, exactly. So I guess it is important to really check, as you say, because it depends on someone's circumstances. It depends how long they're going for. Um, you know, we really need to check with a professional such as yourself and probably check with, you know, our bank as well to make sure that we've got everything in a row before we get down there. Yeah, you know, it's really important. To, uh, you know, it's always important to make sure you've got your plan set and your ducks in a row to make sure you don't run into any any bumps in the road. But Clearly, this year has heightened all of those needs, and and what you thought you knew, it's probably worth double checking uh, that you both have you know the the plans in place and the resources available to make sure that if you do get trapped somewhere, that you know what's going to happen and you can you can handle it along the way. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking part in the show today as part of our Take Five with RBC. We really appreciate your time and expertise, Jonah. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks very much. Thanks. Oh, oh my, I need to do some work on my mindfulness and meditation. I'm a big lover of long walks, and I like to consider this my moving meditation. While I often listen to podcasts or audiobooks, it's sometimes nice to just take in the greens and the browns that we see on our walks and clear our heads for the day ahead. I'd like to thank Annabelle for her mindful thoughts today, and I hope that you'll find a way to get some meditation and mindfulness into your day whether alone or with your grandkids. Being alone and being able to read on my e-reader at a font that works for me without meditating on where I last left my reading glasses, I'm all for that. 
And thanks to Michael Tamlin for joining me to talk about the way that Kobo is minding our media. Moving is never easy, and a move out of the country is even more complicated. Thanks to Jonah Spiegelman from Boughton Law for making things a little more clear for us all. Next week, Go-To Grandma goes high tech. We have two of the best in the tech business as our special guests. Amber Mack will tell us all about the technology every grandparent should have at their fingertips, including one which literally saved her father-in-law's life. Mark Salzman is giving us his Video Game 101 talk on which games are good for us to learn and play with the different age groups of our grandkids. Take 5 with RBC takes us to paradise, or rather to the idea of retiring in paradise. Episode number 9 is going to be a 10 out of 10. Thanks for tuning in. If you are listening via podcast, please don't forget to drop us a review. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.